Hey, good afternoon, good morning, whatever it is. Uh, I just know this, it's going to be hot today, and it's already hot. But it's good to see you, it really is, and I echo what Brett said. I, a lot of times in staff meeting, I'll give out game balls like uh, uh, teams do, and, and uh most of our staff is gone this week to youth camp, but uh, uh, game balls would definitely go to Sam and, and Jenny and Susan Teicher as well. Uh, Susan does so many things behind the scene. And then I would give a game ball to you guys, man. Y'all y'all made it fly. And it was a great week, and, and uh, I'm ready to rest. Uh, that's for sure. But um, uh, some of you have been asking or, or you're curious when, um, when Rodney's going to be with us full time. Uh, today, he's got uh, one more responsibility where he, uh, current, the con current congregation, and then he will be with us next week. Uh, we've given him a week next week just to to sit and everything, and he he hits it running on the 25th. But he's already off scene, and, and so if you do not know Rodney Williams, please get to know Rodney. He is, he'll get to know you, that's for sure. Uh, he's just one of those kind of guys. Uh, there are, this is quick shift of gears, but there are 12 what they call universal laws, okay? These, uh, uh, they're very, I, I don't know who came up with the 12 universal laws, but law number four, it uh, basically says this. Uh, it, it's called the law of attraction. In other words, like begets like is what they say, but Whatever you focus on, whatever you're attracted to, you will go that direction and you will become like that, whatever you're attracted to. So if you're attracted to a positive direction, you will go that direction. If you get distracted, you will head that direction because it's a different attraction. Uh, the law of attraction. And uh, all of us are affected by this. And uh, the church in Galatia that we've been talking about was definitely all of a sudden distracted, which took off their focus. And uh, they, they were really in the midst of a, a struggle, which Paul addressed. But um, I, I, I came across uh, a writer, and he, he said this, and I want to I just read it. Uh, it's a story out of their life, but he says... Years ago, my family and I visited Sequoia National Park in California. Um, the highlight of this trip was seeing the giant Sequoia Redwoods, after which the park is named. These trees are awe-inspiring, both for their beauty and their size. The largest redwood in the national park is the General Sherman Tree. Did, are we able to do it on here? Uh, here? Here's the deal. Yeah, I know somebody's saying, well, the screen's not down in the back. Uh, 
it made the humidity rise in here so bad uh, that that uh, that we had to take it up. This is the uh, General Sherman tree there in the Sequoia National Park. Many of you have seen it. But uh, it towers above the forest at 275 feet in height. It is also 25 feet in diameter with an estimated age over 2,500 years. As my family and I ambled among the giant redwoods, Drinking in, drinking in their exceptional elegance, I noticed a teenage boy walking along with his family. His eyes were transfixed, not by the trees, but rather by his Game Boy device. Today, it will be known as a smartphone. He was engaged in some sort of video game that demanded his full attention. I was both fascinated and distressed by this boy's apparent unawareness of the extraordinary beauty all around him. So I continued to look his way every now and then, <coughs> and then throughout our tour of the big trees. Sure enough, as near as I could tell, he never once lifted his eyes to gaze upon some of the most beautiful and astounding of God's creation. As I think about the, this boy today, I feel sad. My sadness is not just for him, though. I feel sad for so many others who are just like him. I would confess there are times when I am one of these people. I, get, I can get so wrapped up in whatever is demanding my attention that I neglect the beauty of God's creation. Sometimes I'm caught up in work, Sometimes I'm blinded by worry. Often what keeps me from delighting in beauty is my ever-present handheld device. I don't have a Game Boy, but I do have a smartphone that calls to me its siren's song. Um, there is a term, I, I think I've used it before with you, it's called fubbing. Fubbing is when you are so locked in to your device that you don't make eye contact with those that are around you. And uh, so that's fubbing. Uh, the Galatian church was fubbing God a little bit uh, is what we're going to talk about. But we're all guilty. I, and this is just being transparent. Uh, I, I need to look up something on my phone, right? It's extremely important. So I pull my phone out. And I uh, get into it, and uh, I, I went on there for something incredibly important. And uh, so I noticed there's a text, and so I got to respond to the text, right? And then I think, well, I'm responding to the text. I see I have some emails, so I check my emails, and uh, then I think, what the heck, I may as well check my social media, and so I, I checked my social media, and then I got caught in those uh, videos, looping videos. And, and so uh, I'm watching several of those, and, and then, uh, and then I, I, uh, I all of a sudden forgot. I play a couple of games of solitaire. I'm on there. That's the most expensive deck of cards I have. And so I, uh, I play a couple of games of solitaire. 
I forget why I went on there in the first place, and I, I wasted 30 minutes. Am I the only one that uh, is honest enough to admit that? Well, the congregation in Galatia, we've been talking about, they got, Paul was going to say, who cut you off? Who, you were run, running the right path, but you got cut off. You got distracted. Uh, how did that happen? And uh, I just think, man, it, it, this is such a pertinent word today. We're so distracted. And... Uh, I told you when we started the book of Galatians, there are six chapters, six chapters in the book of Galatians. The first two, Paul is giving his background. The next two, three and four, uh, which uh, Brett and Alan did a great job with, is very doctrinal. It, it basically says this, you can't be saved by works. You can't you're going to keep the law. Is that what you think is going to get you salvation? It's not. Salvation is in Christ alone. Christ alone by faith. And so he deals with that in chapters 3 and 4. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he gets very practical about how we're going to live this out. And so today we're in Galatians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to begin with verse 1. I'm going to read 12 verses to you. And um, so find your device. It will be on the screen if you don't have a, a Bible. But uh, let me begin reading in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Well, let me deal with that right quick. Um, circumcision was a sign for uh, a Hebrew male boy that he was under the covenant, old covenant, Mosaic covenant. And uh, so what Paul is saying, listen, if you choose to be the let the law, the Mosaic law, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, so to speak, if you base your life on just trying to keep those, thinking you're going to get salvation, Christ, uh, Christ has nothing to do with you because that's not the way it is. So let's go on. Uh, verse 4. Uh, verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who should be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Verse 7, you were running well. You were running on the right path. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The word hindered uh, is actually the picture if you're uh, running a track race and somebody cuts you off, uh, like I-35. 
somebody cuts you off, and uh, it also means the word distracted. Who distracted you from obeying the truth? Verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But I, if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would just emasculate themselves. Uh, you know, Paul, Paul didn't hold it back, man. He, he went for it. He said, if they're going to just go ahead, you, you know what I'm saying. Uh, he says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. We, we don't completely understand freedom. Yes, we're a free country. Our founding fathers understood freedom. We have just benefited from freedom. We don't completely understand. But Paul is drawing two things out here about freedom. Freedom, number one, is this. It, you're free from the slavery to sin. That old flesh life, that sin nature, you have been set free from that sin nature. Now, somebody will say, yeah, okay, I come to Christ. I'm free from that sin nature. But there is a second freedom, a freedom to live a godly life. It's not just the freedom to not be bound to the law anymore and to be forgiven. It's a freedom that God has taken to the next level that you are not bound to live in that sin anymore, but you can live according to the Spirit. And the, the false teachers who were disrupting the church in Galatia, they had a feeling, uh, here, Paul's preaching grace, right? Grace, 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 not law. And the Judaizers, who were these false teachers, felt like, Paul, if you teach grace, only grace, then that's going to lead to a license of immoral living. People are just going to take advantage of that and live in an immoral way of doing things. You can't just tell grace. you got to give the law, too. And, and Paul said, no. Listen, if the law could do it, then everyone would be walking according to the law. But the law can't do it. It's just condemning people. Grace, because of what God has done through Jesus and by His Spirit, that grace is going to lead you to be able to live a godly life. And so that's what Paul is saying, coming against these false teachers. Uh, also, he talks about, in verse 4, notice in verse 4, he talks about the result. If you're going to live according to the law, and the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, if that's going to be your standard of living, that's going to be your getting you into salvation in the presence of God. If you're going to live that way, then you're bound for all of it. See, we have a tendency to put sins on different levels, levels right? Uh, adultery, murder, man, those are bad. Uh, lying, ah, let's move that on down. 
But the scriptures are very clear. You break it at any point, you've broken it all. And so Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to base your life on the law, then you're going to have to do all of it. You're going to have to do all of it. And two things are going to happen. Number one, he says, you're going to be severed from Christ. Now, what does that mean? Remember, first of all, he's writing to believers, okay? He's not writing to a people that have yet to come to Christ. He's talking to believers. And so he's not saying you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying you're severed from Christ. In other words, you are on your own. You're on your own. If you're going to base it on the law, you're on your own. And then he, second of all, he says, you have fallen away from grace. And somebody uh, is going to use that scripture to say, oh, there you go. You can lose your salvation. You, it says it right there. You can fall from grace. You need to be careful in letting one verse set your whole theology, okay? The scriptures, you got to take the scriptures as a whole. And he's talking to believers, and basically what he's saying is, he says, if you're going to base your life on the law, you have fallen from grace, which means you've fallen out of fellowship. Your relationship is still established, but you've fallen out of fellowship with God. Basically is this. Law means I do something for God. Grace means God does something for me, and I receive it, and I'll, I'll walk in it. And then he puts emphasis on, uh, notice verse 5, he said, through the Spirit, by faith. And then he, at the end of verse 6, he says, faith working through love. Basically what he's saying is this. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a religious observance. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to get very practical with us just a moment. I feel like the enemy, uh, devil, Satan, adversary, prince of the power of the air, whatever you want to call him, uh, the enemy works in one of his number one ways of working is in the area of distractions. Not bad distractions even. That, they don't, may not be evil, but he has distracted us because you see, if he can't keep us from Christ, he wants to distract us. Remember I talked about the law of attraction you fix your eyes on Jesus, which we sang just a moment ago. You fix your eyes on Jesus. That's your attraction. You're going to grow in Christ-likeness. He's going to be your focus. You're going to grow in your faith. However, if you take your eyes off and you're distracted, you're going to start focusing on the world. You're going to focus on other things. And you're going to become like that instead of becoming like Christ. And that's why... I think that one of the super tools of the enemy is distract followers, to distract followers of Christ from growing into his image. We're seeing this all the time today. So, 
I want to talk to you about personal distractions and then church distractions. So let me start with personal distractions. Personal distractions are to take your eyes off Jesus, put them on the world, put them on your surroundings, and uh, you are going to uh, become distracted and not, not become like Jesus. Number one is this, time. Uh, time is the most precious commodity we have in our uh, day, and it's passing very fast. I remember as a kid, when I would walk out of class uh, before summer break, that last day of school, man, I thought I had forever. Now I'm thinking, man, it's so short. It's so short. Because time just moves on. We all have 168 hours in a week to invest. And uh, we invest that uh, time and we are extremely busy. And often we find ourselves so busy that serving our God becomes a burden instead of a, a get-to, it is a have-to. And, and we see it as a burden. Or we use our time on the wrong priorities. I, I, I sometimes think, and I know everybody is climbing the ladder of success, whatever that success is for you. You're climbing that ladder of success. I just wonder if someday that when we get to the top of our ladder of success, we're going to realize it was leaning against the wrong wall. And uh, I think that's with many people. You have time to invest, and you want to invest in kingdom time. You're limited, and yet we find ourselves with wrong priorities. And uh, it's been said by many, not just me, but if you wonder what a person truly worships, look at his calendar or his day timer. And you can look at your checkbook as well or your Google searches, but if you want to tell what a person really worships, you see, we can say things all day long, but the proof's in the pudding when we live our lives out. So the number one distraction, number one here is time. And if he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. That's, uh, that's what he does. So time. Number two is this, comfort. Uh, we, we often think if we are uncomfortable, we're in an uncomfortable position, then we are distracted from Christ because we think God has abandoned us. And we read the word of God and we see that we're going to suffer. We see the world is going to hate us. And we sometimes get in those positions and uh, it's a struggle. But I've even noticed this. When people are very comfortable, they don't pursue Christ. And, but yet our, that comfort level often dictates our focus and it can distract us. Uh, we can often forget this, that God uses suffering to develop us into Christ-likeness. And we don't like that. We, we think, oh, I, I'm not feeling well. I, I, we're struggling financially. 
Uh, I've never heard a person who has got laid off their job to uh, not draw, draw closer to God. I, I just see it all the time. Why is that? Because you become more dependent on your heavenly Father at that point. So, uh, and, and, and this is me. I feel like we never know what's inside of us until we're squeezed. You don't know what's in there until you get squeezed by the circumstances of life, and it, then you find out what is truly in you. So, uh, comfort. Number three is this, circumstances. Uh, you know, from the time we wake up in the morning, we are automatically distracted. First of all, an alarm goes off on our phone uh, to wake us out of a restful sleep and we always wish we were still asleep. And so we pick up our phone, and what do we do? We hit snooze, or we hit stop on the alarm, and then we think, okay, I've got my phone, I may as well check my emails. Well, good night. You're distracted already. And then we check the news, right? We see what's going on in the world, and then we're really distracted. We check the weather. It's going to be 150 degrees today. And we, we, we're, once again, distracted. And then we ch check the sports scores. And, uh, you know, we, we see the scores. And, man, we're in the pits before we even thought about having a daily devotional and prayer time. We're distracted right off the bat. And so... These circumstances of life distract us, and the enemy makes sure we get distracted. Uh, number four, relationships. Uh, relationships can be a distraction. Uh, you that are single, uh, uh, sometimes you find it as a real distraction uh, because you're, you're you are trying to please that girl or please that guy and uh, you get distracted from your relationship with Christ. Uh, or we're trying to win a boss's approval or somebody, a coach's approval or whatever. Or we have broken and severed relationships, right? And, uh, and then, how about this one? The sin of comparison. We go on social media, whatever your uh, social media is, Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and, you know, people lie on that. I, 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 they, they put on a profile picture, and you're thinking, man, I've never seen them smile. And, uh, and then they have their family, and their family's in order, and uh, their job's going great, they're traveling all over the world, this kind of stuff. And you start comparing your life to a made-up life, and then the next thing you know is you're distracted from following after Christ. So, relationship. Let me share one more. I can share other personal distractions, but I'm going to call uh, the fifth one worldly distractions. Uh, uh, the media, does, the, does media affect the culture or does culture dictate the media? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I just know we're screwed up. Uh, I, I see the media and I see 
uh, young people get trapped in, uh, not just young people, but fubbing others all the time. And, and uh, uh, here's another worldly pr- uh, distraction, though. We have a wrong approach to our careers or to our school or whatever it takes up most of your time. Uh, many things in life we see as a have to instead of a get to. And when we walk with that stinking thinking, we're going to be distractive and, and, and not focus on Christ. So those are five personal distractions. However, Paul was writing to a church, churches in Galatia. And so I want to talk to, uh, uh, to you a few minutes on what I believe it scares me, to be honest. I see so many distractions within the body of Christ. And I wish that everything that central is exempt. But we're not exempt, folks. And so let me share with you some of these uh, distractions. Number one is false teaching. False teaching. Uh, let me give you an example. The Judaizers came to the church at Galatia, and they were legalists. Uh, they're a Christian legalist today that they measure by everything and they can pull in the walls pretty tight. And uh, if you do not follow A, B, C, D, E, and you do not follow that, then uh, you're, you're not very spiritual. And isn't it amazing that, that legalists, and we all uh, wander into legalism sometimes, but isn't it amazing that our sins are always outside of instead of inside the legalism? And uh, so legalism is a false teaching. Number two, you ready for this? Cheap grace. We've taken the blood of Jesus that he suffered and it was nailed to the cross. He, he took the beating for us, the scourging for us. He was sacrificed for us. And we've taken the grace that poured out through Jesus, and we cheapened it. We, we, uh, we've made it very formulaic. And I want you to know something. Jesus never said, ask me into your heart. He never said that. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what he said. And so we sometimes have got this little formula that if you just pray this little prayer, listen, sin has to work itself out in you and there needs to be conviction. You see, the Holy Spirit rises up and and convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And you have to deal with that. And you have to come to the cross of Jesus Christ and, and, and basically surrender all. And yet we've come to a cheap grace that says, oh, if you just pray this little prayer. I'm not a pro, uh, opposed to prayers. I just know that I'm scared that I'm going to stand before the Lord someday and he's going to say, Mark, you cheapened my grace instead of telling people the truth. And that scares me. 
That really scares me. And, and I, I know this grace has been cheapened, especially in the church in the West, because you, you look, uh, divorce is rampant. We're, we're dealing with it on epidemic proportions. People wandering away. People uh, who don't gather for worship unless they have, uh, they won't, they will gather if they don't have something better to do. And we're seeing this all the time. And so we're seeing the results of cheap grace. In fact, when I read the scriptures, and I read it every year, make sure I read it from uh, Genesis to Maps, I, I want to read that in such a way that I get what God is saying collectively. And you know what I find? is as long as I have breath, I am to be seeking and hungering after him. That's what I'm called to do. And so um, these are false teaching. Uh, let me give you another one. Uh, prosperity teaching. In other words, if I come to Jesus, my bank account's going to be good. I'll always be healthy. My kids will never rebel my, I will move up the ladder in my work. Uh, that's false teaching. That, you don't see that in the scriptures at all. And then one more uh, uh, false teaching I'll lay, lay out there uh, is the church has been guilty, especially in the West, of becoming very entertainment-oriented. Very entertainment-oriented. Uh, instead of focused on God. Uh, I, I, I love our worship team. And I, I'm talking about the way we worship. Uh, Pam and I taught third graders this week. And uh, the question one day was, uh, what is worship? And I wish you could have heard the answers. One young girl said, respect. And another one said, honor. And I thought, man, that has nothing to do with singing. That's just respecting and honoring the Father. And so we, we need to see the importance uh, of that. So false teaching. Let me give you a, a, another distraction. Internal focus. Internal focus. We lose focus on a mission field. We lose focus on what God has called us to do to be his light and his salt in this world. We become like the Dead Sea. Uh, if you've been to Israel, uh, the Jordan River flows down all the way down Israel. It flows, first of all, into the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, it flows out of the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee is teeming with fish and, and wildlife and everything. But you get to the Dead Sea because the Dead Sea, the water does not leave it. It, it gets stagnant and it's, no life can be there. And I, I'm afraid that when we become internally focused, and I, I didn't say eternally, I said internally focused, that what happens, we start to stink to the world. And they don't want what we have. They just think it's another country club and a closed unit instead of uh, life-changing. And then what happens when we become internally focused, 
we get apathetic, and uh, that this happens. Um, so that's two. Three is this. I call this false expectation. False expectation. Uh, and let me tell you one that's epidemic in the church in the West, especially evangelical churches. We put an emphasis on government fixing everything. We think the government ought to fix everything, and that's not why God uh, established government. He established the church to be the moral compass. And we have looked to the government to fix everything, and I want you to know it cannot and it will not fix it. The church is called to be there. And yes, vote. Yes, run for office, let your voice be heard, but realize the government will not be the bottom answer. And uh, we're going to see that more and more over the next couple of years as we get ready to uh, vote again. But the church needs a revival, folks. Last one, uh, last distraction for the church is we become trendy instead of biblical. We, we want to be accepted in the world. We want to be trendy. We want to we do the things that are uh, attractive. Now, we want to be attractive to people, but our attraction ought to be Jesus. And uh, I, I, I see no brokenness over sin. I, I see no... A pursuing of holiness and purity. Uh, I, I have to get on to myself to deal harshly with the sin in my life because we can live shady lives and still come to church and worship and it not be a big deal. Where's the brokenness? When was the last time you or I was really broken over the sin of our country? The sin of the church, the sin in our lives, the sin in our family. We can't be trendy about this. We need to be lifting up the gospel. And I'm not talking about uh, guitars or the worship style or that kind of thing. I'm talking about, I'm talking about a, a mindset that is not holy. So, stepped on you, didn't I? I stepped on myself. I've been dealing with this all week long. So what do we do? Right quick, uh, what do we do? Number one is we, we ask God to open our eyes. We ask God to open our eyes. Lord, show me the distractions that are keeping me from growing in you. So open my eyes, Lord. Number two is we repent. Well, what does repent mean? Repent means change the direction you're going. Quit going that way. Quit going towards the distraction. Uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus to look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Repent. Focus. Turn your, uh, turn your eyes. Repent. Ask God to open our eyes. Repent. Third one is this. Focus on Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 12 said this, Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. How do I do that, Mark? I, I, I just wish he would show up in the room and so I can see him. Well, he has come. He has risen from the dead. He is returning. He left his revelation in the scriptures. He's left a body for you to communicate and commune with. And he has given his very Holy Spirit to indwell you, to seal you for the day that he is returning. I, I, I get concerned about distraction. I get discerned in my, uh, concerned in my own life about the distractions I let keep me from growing in Christ. And the church in Galatia dealt with it, and we deal with it today. Oh, Lord, open our eyes. Help us to repent. And we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. A man purchased a hunting dog, and the dog was hunting. He was, his specialty was hunting bear. How about that? So he, he purchased the dog, and he said, man, we need, we need to go hunting. So sure enough, they go out hunting, and the dog picks up the scent of the a bear. And they take off. The, the game's afoot now. So they're taking off. Well, at some time, a deer had crossed the path of the bear scent. And now the dog picks up the scent of the deer. And uh, then a rabbit has crossed the path of the deer. And so the dog now picks up the scent of the rabbit. And this goes on all day long until the dog finally stops and points, and he's pointing at a little burrow. And in this burrow is a field mouse. And the dog who was setting out off in great number, uh, to, uh, great effort to pursue a bear ends up pursuing a field mouse. I am scared that the church of Jesus Christ, who has been indwelt by the Spirit of God, and each of us have the Spirit of God living in us, I'm afraid that we are to be world changers and giant killers and, and to make a difference in the world. I'm afraid we're chasing field mice sometimes. And I encourage you, today, join me in repenting of the distraction. In just a moment, Brett and the team are going to come. I would love to see people just come and say, God, show us the distractions. Show my personal distraction. Show the distractions of our church so that we can repent. And we have the Lord's Supper. Maybe this is a fresh day for you to come and have that freshness with Christ. And there will be people to pray with you. Because I would say that Somebody in this room has never come to a relationship with Christ. Oh, they've 
they've uh, done what we said to do, but they, they've experienced no hard change, nothing, no cleansing of forgiveness. And today you're saying, oh, God, that's what I want. Please come and pray with someone to help you in that journey. Would you bow with me, please?